0: The reading today is from Genesis chapter 49 verses 29 to 33, chapter 50 verses 6 to 9, and chapter 50 verses 15 to 26. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Verse 6, And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only his children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen, And they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin. Because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived for 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Mamassah, were counted as Joseph's own.
1: Great, thank you. Thanks for, for reading, Louise. Great to see you all, and to be back with you for this uh, last week in this uh, series. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I were driving down some, to somewhere in Sussex on a cold, rainy, dark, uh, wintry night. Um, and the main road that would have taken us there was closed, and so um, I had to entrust the journey to my phone and to uh, Google Maps to find an alternative route. Um, And alternative, I think is a good word for what uh, followed for the next couple of hours or so. Uh, This route took us through all sorts of tiny uh, country lanes in the dark and in the rain. I had no clue where we were. And to me, it felt like we were getting further and further off course, uh, more and more lost. And I had to trust that Google Maps with its satellite um, knew where we were going, knew what it was doing and would get us to, to the destination. And we had little clues along the way. It, it sort of predicted that we'd be going through little uh, villages, and uh, sure enough, those villages kind of came and went. So I was re- reassured if it's getting these little steps right, then hopefully the whole journey is under control as well. And these closing chapters of Genesis give us an opportunity to reflect uh, not on satellite navigation, thankfully, but on God's control of all history, uh, that journey of journeys. And here's what I think these chapters can offer us, a peaceful confidence that God is working all history towards a glorious conclusion. A peaceful confidence that God's working all history towards a glorious conclusion. There are many reasons why we might doubt uh, that idea. Um, Often in life, it can feel like we are turning down dark, wintry, narrow country lanes, that might feel like the world is getting further and further off course and I guess particularly in the season we're in at the moment it's easy to think that isn't it and uh, so I hope this is a word in season for us um, I said last week these last two chapters have all the hallmarks of a tragic ending we have uh, two deaths Jacob and Joseph the two main characters there's lots of grief here there's lots of weeping and yet somehow this manages to be an ending that oozes hope and optimism Mostly thanks to the words of Jacob and Joseph. Words which help us to see that this is never really a story about the human characters, but all along it's been a story about what God is doing. The remarkable sovereign control of God over all history. That is our our focus uh, this afternoon. I want to briefly focus on a couple of ways in which um, that is on display here. Firstly, we see it in Jacob's last words and Jacob's last journey. So verse 29 again, uh, Jacob commanded them and said to them, "'I'm to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place.'" Now, as last requests go, this is a massively inconvenient one Uh, I want you children to travel 600 miles. I want you to bury me and then come all the way back. Uh, In those days, that was a big ask. And the location is very specific, isn't it? Very detailed instructions, um, which I think makes us ask the question, why? What's so special about this field in Machpelah? And I think there are two parts to the answer to that. Firstly, there's uh, uh, Jacob's evident concern for family heritage. He says of that field, that's where Abraham and his wife is, uh, where Isaac and his wife is, my wife is there, and so I should be buried there as well. It matters that he's next to Abraham and Isaac, the other two men who received the promises that we were thinking about last week. So there's a sort of backward-looking nostalgia. He wants to be with his ancestors, but maybe more significantly, significantly there's a forward-looking confidence in this request as well. If, if, if this was all about family, then Jacob would surely have said, well, let me stay in Egypt with my sons. We know how much his sons uh, mean to him, but he knows that his family's future lies not in Egypt, but in Canaan. God had promised to give Canaan to Jacob and his family. And so his mind goes to this corner of some foreign field that is forever Israel. And this tiny plot is like a little foretaste. It's a a foot in the door into the land. And soon enough, he knows God is going to open that door and the whole of the land of Canaan will become their family home. As it turned out, more than four centuries would go by before that ever became reality. But Jacob is sure, he's confident, uh, resting confidently in God's sovereign control. So Jacob's last words here display his confidence in God and I think his last journey uh, give us a strong indication that he was right to be confident. Uh, Joseph gets permission from Pharaoh uh, to take the body to Canaan um, but actually Pharaoh gives m- far more than just grant permission. It's worth having another look at chapter uh, verse 7 of chapter 50. Joseph went up to bury his father with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, all his father's household. Verse nine, there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. This is like a state funeral worthy of the Pharaoh himself. But again, what I think is going on here is this is a sneak preview of what God is going to do for his people in the future Um, here we have the the exodus of Israel the man which is like a sneak preview or a trailer of the exodus of Israel the nation and there are even details in there which come up um, again like (laughs) these are like pre-echoes of what will come in the book of exodus just a few chapters later Uh, Things like the the chariots and horsemen, which, if you read the Exodus account, feature very prominently in Israel's uh, mighty Exodus. And who knows whether anyone at the time thought this was a foreshadowing. But I think for any Israelite centuries later reading this, uh, they can look back and they can see the parallels. And they would be able to think to themselves, even at the time when Jacob died, God already knew and had planned the great exodus from, from Egypt. It was utterly certain he was fully in control, um, even more than four centuries earlier. So I hope we begin to see as well, Jacob's death and, and burial, although sad, is loaded with hope and loaded with clues about what God is going to do for his people in the future. And that same idea gets even more explicitly spelt out. Uh, as we move our attention from Jacob to Joseph. So secondly, we see God's sovereign control on display in Joseph's last words, Joseph's last words. Um, His words in chapter 50 enable us to make sense of everything that's happened to this family and a lot has happened to this family. Um, The brothers send a message to Joseph. They are suddenly, it seems too scared to speak to him face to face. And it's the elephant in the room isn't it the unresolved tension in their relationship so verse 16 they send a message to joseph saying your father gave this command before he died say to joseph please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the god of your father we don't know for certain whether jacob had given this command and um, the optimist in me wants to think that The brothers are telling the truth um, by this stage. Um, in any case, uh, Joseph is ready to forgive them. And he's not angry, Um, he weeps. It's a very moving scene. And his answer to them contains one of the most profound descriptions of God and his sovereignty uh, anywhere in the Bible. Um, Verse 19 and 20, such such important verses. Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And this is a remarkable uh, explanation. You meant evil against me. He said, there's no denying that they are responsible, and they are guilty, they wanted him dead, and they sold him off into slavery, hoping never to see him again. But at the same time, God repurposed those actions and meant them for good. And that's a story that we've been seeing unfolding in these last few weeks, a story full of mess and ups and downs, a story in which for a long time evil seems to be uh, triumphing, but in the end a story where we see God is in control all the time and through which he brings about a good ultimate outcome. Actually, there are clues as you follow through the story that God is in control. I think particularly in the dreams. Uh, Dreams feature quite a lot in the Joseph story, don't they? You think of Joseph's dreams way back at the start, the dreams that got him into trouble uh, with the the sheaves of corn uh, bowing down or the stars and the moon bowing down to him. Outrageous dreams, really. Uh, His brothers and uh, father were upset. But those dreams came true at the end, didn't they? as the brothers bowed down to him in Egypt. Or then you think of the, the dreams that Joseph's fellow prisoners had, uh, dreams that came true within a few days as one of them died and one of them lived. Um, or then Pharaoh's dreams. Uh, Pharaoh dreamt of uh, the, the fat seven fat cows, seven thin cows, which came true over seven years of plenty and famine. Um, each of those showed us many cycles of fulfilment, showed us God's ability to predict something that's a few days away or 14 years away or 30 years away, showed us that however strange and unpredictable these last few chapters seem to us, they were utterly predictable to God, predicted by God, in fact. And now in chapter 50, we add another idea, not just that God is able to predict everything, but he even uses apparently random events, even evil events to accomplish good purposes. Many people were kept alive. And so confident is Joseph that God will continue to work in this way, that he makes them swear to take his bones with them uh, when they leave, says, I'm about to to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he saw to Abraham, Isaac uh, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. He has no doubt that God will do his part. His concern is to make sure the brothers do theirs. I think this is a a vital and precious lesson for any Christian today, if we're going to make sense of the world we live in. And the the tension throughout this book, the whole book of Genesis, actually, has been... Uh, through God, uh, between God's good purposes on the one hand and the evil of humanity uh, on the other. You can think all the way back to the Garden of Eden, there you've got God doing something good, but sinful humanity and their behaviour seem to derail uh, what God was doing and deface God's creation. And human sin throughout the book looks as though it's capable of, of ruining the family, in which God uh, through which God was planning to restore things and bring blessing so this this tension is is a real one which will win God's uh, intention to do good or human tendency to do evil chapter 50 verse 20 shows us that God's power um, and control towers above the power of evil human sin is is a terrible thing but it cannot surprise God and it cannot derail his purposes even mind-bogglingly he will use those evil actions to further his purposes and that truth becomes clearer and clearer as salvation history unfolds and nowhere is it more clearly seen than in the death of Jesus. If you think about uh, when Jesus dies here we see human evil at its peak killing the righteous son of God, that is, unsurpassable, unmatchable evil, and yet, at the same time, God uses that very act uh, to accomplish the eternal rescue of his people. You could very easily take verse 20 of of this chapter and adapt it to describe Jesus' death. They meant evil against him, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people might be kept alive for all eternity. And that's what the Apostle Peter explained to people in Jerusalem a, a few weeks later. In Acts 2, we read uh, his sermon in which he, uh, he came up with these amazing words capturing the same idea. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. By the hands of lawless men. Was it human evil? Yes, in the extreme, but God in his sovereign power knew it was coming and always planned to use it to accomplish his plan of salvation. Now I'm not suggesting this is uh, something we're ever going to understand uh, or be able to get our our heads around. I don't even know how Google Maps works, let alone uh, God's knowledge of all of history, But even if it is beyond our understanding, it is something we need to believe and take great comfort in. It's a truth I think we need for the times that we live in when it feels as though life is is out of control in all sorts of ways. It's a truth we need when we witness uh, evil on a global scale or when we experience evil on a a personal and private scale as well. As a famous poem puts it, we need to remember that the master weaver We'll use dark threads as well as golden before finally unravelling the finished tapestry. And we know where God is taking history, do we know the destination uh, he's told us? Uh, Revelation speaks of a multitude that no man can number, gathered round his throne in a perfect new creation. God has seen to it, will see to it, that many are kept alive. And that is the finished tapestry. And however painful the ups and downs, however messy uh, history feels in the meantime, however far off that destination might feel, we can rest in God's sovereign control of all history. And one day, uh, we will say finally understanding things. People did many things intending evil, but God intended them for good, so that we and this crowd, too great to number, could experience this joyful eternity shall i pray as i finish father we thank you for this uh, deeply comforting truth that um, even as humanity does its worst you are busy doing your glorious work and furthering your plans of salvation and thank you that your control goes way beyond anything we can understand and so we we do ask that you'd help us to to take comfort from it uh, particularly as we experience the the chaos and evil of a of a broken world and would we rest secure knowing that you will take history to the destination that you have promised and we ask it in jesus name amen